0: Episode 20 of the Parkrun Adventurers is rocking out this week. A little bit of a different intro music. And we're going to have a little bit of different music throughout the program this week as a special treat. How are you going, Mel?
1: I'm super amazing. Scotty, how about you?
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not quite there, but I'm close. I'm looking forward to this episode. It's going to be a beauty. We've got a few guests on this week.
1: It's a big one.
0: So it could be a long run for some.
1: Get ready, people. Pace yourselves.
0: I have warned you early. I'm also back in Melbourne this week, which I'm very happy about. I was happy to be in Sydney last week, but always good to be home. And unfortunately, I went to Sydney for almost a week and didn't manage to do it on a Saturday, which is just crazy. But I still managed to run a couple of park runs while I was up there. Mel, you may ask me how I did that. (laughs) Well... (laughs) I went on an adventure. I went on a freedom run adventure. I headed out to Cooks River Park Run and to Rhodes Park Run.
1: You you snuck a few freedom runs in. Yeah. Nice work. That's what a true adventurer would do.
0: It's a great way to see park runs that you know you can't get to on a Saturday. So I recorded a little bit of audio after I completed those freedom runs. Let's have a listen. Okay, adventurers. I've been in Sydney all week. Working, I had an early finish today. So, like all good parkrun adventurers, I looked at the city of Sydney's map and mapped out my freedom runs. First port, first port of call would have been St. Peters, but I looked at the map and it was just a mess. So, I'm going to save that for a Saturday morning, an official run. Um, So, I got the pro tip from Paul Wilcox and tossing up between Cooks River and roads so i've headed out to cook's river and um i've just done it it's a it's a two lap out and back course along the river here so you go out for 1.25 and head back and then you do it again haven't done one of those before Um, dead flat there are a couple of little pimples on the course i don't think anyone would actually call them hills Um, commits a, a real park run crime that we We run along the river, past I think 2 or 3 bridges and um, don't get to cross them. So I think we're going to have to get someone from Cooks River on to justify that decision. Otherwise, great course. Very flat, lots of shade um, along the river so um, no car noises. Um, We start in uh, St Mary MacKillop Reserve. Nice playground, it's got a bit of shelter. So cracking park run for Cooks River just need to address the non-bridge crossing issue now the real adventure is about to start because i'm going to head over to roads it's um it's dark now um, i've got about 20 percent on my phone which is also my navigation system but i couldn't really call myself a parker and adventurer if i didn't want to risk this challenge so back in the car feel fresh sat on a five minute case for that one, so we might get to roads in the dark and push that one a bit. Let's see if my I make it, and let's see if my phone battery lasts. No surprises. I'm back in my hotel room now. The phone battery didn't last, but it did get me across the roads, park run. So I've done their freedom run there. Um, a real run of contrasts. You start in the Olympic Park area. I did, I did a variation of their course because there's a loop in their course and I did it at the start and I think it actually comes at the end of the official run. But you do this loop, then you head out along um, the freeway. So no lighting at night, like zero lighting. It was pitch black. could barely see um, five centimetres in front of my face. Um, but then you hit the road's waterfront area and we got some lighting there, thankfully. It's quite pretty, um, dead flat. Both the runs tonight were dead flat. If I was to come back to Sydney I think roads would probably pique my interest a bit more because because it was so dark I couldn't really tell where I was running tonight but it seemed like a nice run. The real adventure began when I had to navigate back into the city. Um, Phone battery was about 7% and it, it got me back onto the freeway and I figured out the rest of the way from there. So I took on an adventure and I... Highly recommend it. Freedom Runs is the way to go. If you're in town midweek and you're not going to be around until Saturday, go out and do Freedom Runs. And it's a great way to see other courses.
1: Well, sounds like you definitely had a little adventure. You, you should have recruited some locals to come along who might have been able to help you out with the GPS aspect of you know navigating from one to the other with very low battery. But good job. Scotty?
0: It's funny you should mention that because a previous guest on the podcast noticed my run on Strava, Ashley, and he said, you should have let me know you were running there because he would have run with me. And that way I wouldn't have got the course wrong at Rhodes. I got it a little bit wrong. So I might do that next time I'm in town. I might let our listeners know that I'm coming. I'm that important.
1: (laughs) Put the call out. You'll be doing freedom runs during the week. Yes.
0: It's not a bad idea.
1: No, it's a great idea. We we actually had an offer when we were in Tasmania for a guided tour of Devonport, uh, which was really awesome, and that's because we mentioned it on the podcast, so people are listening. Yeah. Important people who do park runs.
0: Okay, so this week, are you going to do any freedom runs? Do you want to do any freedom runs this week?
1: Oh, um, let me think about that. Mm, oh, I don't think I can fit any in this week. Okay. You?
0: No, I might do a Freedom at Westerfolds tomorrow night, but I've done that before, so, yeah. well, maybe
1: you should make it an open invitation anyway. Maybe you should be guiding people on that run.
0: Yeah. Well, there you go. If you want to come, Westerfolds, Thursday night, 7 o'clock, I'll give you a guided tour. We'll do a Freedom run. How's your running going, Mel? Well, have you snuck in any runs this
2: week?
1: Well, I've volunteered at Parkrun the last two weeks in a row, and... I did manage to get a run-in on Sunday I did a trail event in up in Woodford uh, which was very good fun 12 kilometers of hilly traily goodness uh, there were some other crazy parkrun adventurers out there who I know listen to the show and they were doing the 50k and did an amazing job some others that were doing the 33k also did an amazing job and I did notice because obviously, you know, people Instagram, it's on Strava, Sundays are becoming this massive day and the weekends are becoming a massive day for people to be sharing their running adventures, not just park run, but at other events as the winter running season kicks off. And there were so many this weekend. And I was talking to my husband about this the other day. We've stopped going to events that are just, you know, your standard 10k or half marathon because we're looking for something different now you know we've we've done those distances and we want our events to be something a little bit different so for example you know there was the wings for life world run not this weekend just gone but the weekend before which had a chaser car you know chasing down the runners and you just had to run as far as you could before the chaser car caught up to you and that's something that really interests me, you know, events that have something a little bit different. Have, have you experienced any events that are something a little bit different, Scotty?
0: It's funny you mentioned the Wings for Life because I was all set to do it this year. But that damn trip to Sydney got in the way. So I, I missed it. No, but I have got my eye on, they call it GORM, the Great Ocean Road Marathon, because it's not actually, well, it is a marathon, but they go a little bit extra in both the half and the full. So it's like this weird mind trick where you get to the 42.2 and then they make you run another three kilometres, which is interesting. That's a little bit different. And the same with the half. I think they go for 23 kilometres instead of 21.
1: Not to mention it's it's on the Great Ocean Road, so you've got, you know, all those spectacular views and all those spectacular hills to navigate.
0: The views are amazing. I, I understand it was a bit windy This year, I think they ran into a headwind the whole way, which is one of the risks you take when you run from one point to another.
1: Sounds like hard work.
0: Yeah. but
1: sure it was rewarding. Well, we should get our listeners to let us know what their interesting events are that they've got. You know, the, the winter running season is full of them. I'm keen to hear what everyone's going to be doing this year. So let us know. Drop us a line on the Facebook page or... Hashtag parkrun adventurers and comment on the Instagram pic or tweet us. We're all over the social media. Keen to hear what you've got planned. Lots of
0: parkrunners at the UTA event in the Blue Mountains. So they were on an adventure. We also spotted on our Facebook page one of our keen listeners, Melissa Ellis. She did a great thing. So with her running group, Rearing to Run, they filled out the volunteer positions at Berwick Springs Park run. And then they headed down to the Great Ocean Road Marathon. And that sounds like a great adventure.
1: Melissa Ellis and her friends are the definition of parkrun adventurers.
0: We have been asked in the past, why are we parkrun adventurers and not parkrun tourists? So what's the difference between an adventurer and a tourist?
1: I reckon it's the fun factor. Adventurers have so much more fun than tourists.
0: Because you can be an adventurer even when you're at your home park run. Because being an adventurer is about doing something a little bit different. Trying something different. So you can do that when you're visiting in another park run. Or even when you're at home and you just try something different. Like talking to somebody that you've never met before. Or you wear something that you would never wear in your right mind if you went out for a run. A 5k run. Or walk.
1: It's all about pushing the boundaries of your comfort zone and expanding them into a super awesome, huger comfort zone that's even more fun and has more possibilities. Mm -hmm. And back to redeem himself from what has been described as a lacklustre, Facts in a haystack. We're joined once more by Ian Hay. Ian, welcome to the podcast.
3: Hey guys, I'll definitely redeem myself this week. Hi
0: Ian, I wasn't describing it as lackluster for the record. That no, wasn't no, me. No.
3: What an what an intro. What's with that? <laughs> I think last week just didn't go so well. So <laughs> I loved it still. <laughs> Now, don't tell anyone, but this week I've gone slightly less technical. Um, the stats are technical, but I've printed it out on paper. I'm not using my laptop. It's closed. So um, unless my daughter comes and uh, destroys my paperwork, we're all good.
0: This is
1: progress. I like it. Mm, that's right. So what have you got for us? You, you gave yourself a pretty big rap with what these stats were going to be last week, Ian. So, you know, looking forward to you delivering.
3: Well, about that, I opened up the laptop, I looked at those stats, and I thought, the world's not ready for something that good just yet. So, I'm going to hold off on that, and we've got a slightly different direction this week. It's, it's almost as good. Actually, I, th- I think it's better, but it's just <laughs> – so, this week, we have gone with uh, – at the end of the last podcast, which is, what, a month and a bit ago now, um, Scott mentioned – um, his daughter having run quite a few park runs around uh, the state uh, and mentioned asking about some get uh, junior stats on a number of events that uh, they've run across the country. So I've gone and got a heap of stats on that.
0: So I wanted to know if she was the only or one of the few juniors on the most events table.
3: What I've done is I've gotten two, two bunches of stats on juniors. Um, I've gone with um, unique events by state. So the highest percentage within a state and I've also gone across all of Australia as well. So, um, the first one is so basically the highest percentage of a of a state that the juniors managed to fill. So we've got uh, she's sitting at number twenty-two for that one. Uh, so she's got what forty-eight percent.
1: Does does this include? Darwin in the Northern Territory as a state, because then you know any child that had participated in Darwin would have a hundred percent.
3: Yeah, exactly. So no, we've sort of gone a little bit, a uh, little bit uh, different today. So what I've done is, so I've got um, basically a couple of people in Victoria uh, that are in the junior club that have done what thirty one and twenty four events.
0: Okay, she's got, she's got a goal. She's got people. She's got a catch. Yep.
3: So these are. The, the other one, so I did basically across – so that was across states. So my, it's just to re-explain it properly. It's it's based on in within each state um, who's done the most across the country. So I probably worded that wrong. So I've probably confused everyone out there in the world. You yeah, confused me. <laughs> I've confused myself as well, so don't worry. It's because it's on paper and not on the laptop. See, that's, that's what's done it. <laughs> so when we, move, when we look at basically across all of Australia, uh, she's sitting at number 11, which – I've gone with all of juniors, so that's all the way up to um, age 17, Um, and interestingly, we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, out of the top 13, 12 of those are junior 10s that have done the most amount of events across Australia, so we've got one 17-year-old who's um, or 15 to 17 who's sitting at the top of the list, and pretty much the rest of them are all junior 10s, which is amazing, so we've got some junior 10s really getting around the country.
1: They've got some adult adventurers for parents.
3: Absolutely. So that's it's pretty cool to see. Good. So yeah. she's not in the top 10. She's very, very one event off sitting in the top 10. Actually, one one event to be equal 10. Okay. So you got some driving to do, Scott. <laughs> okay, don't worry,
0: I'm planning. The mind's ticking over already.
3: <laughs> so leading on from that, it got me thinking about where I could go next with the stats uh, for this uh, week. And what I thought I would do is base it around parkrun adventurers. So I wanted to look out and just see how many people are getting around the country, um, just outside of juniors. So I broke into two categories. One was I wanted to look at launches, and then the other one was I wanted to look at um, week-to-week events, basically. Um, I was curious to see how many adventurers get out to launches um, across Australia. So I've looked at this year. Now, it's, it should be a pretty obvious one for you guys. Who would be at the top of the list for the most amount of adventurers that got to a launch? Um, I'm almost positive if the EDs listening in, they would know straight away. I'll see if you guys can guess it.
1: Can you give us a state? Queensland. Oh, for a launch. Which event got the most adventurers? Uh, okay. And that was, that was this year, this, this calendar year. Okay. I'm, I'm
0: going with Nambour.
1: Nambour was in November last year.
0: I'm not going with Nambour. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> I'm just Rock trying Kedron. to remember.
3: As soon as I say it, you going to go.
1: No, Rock, no, Rocky was too far away. It had a lot of locals, but it didn't have a lot of adventurers. Um, it's going to be something like Kedron or, yeah, I would say Kedron. You're
3: going know, to um, kick yourself when you hear this one. Sarah
1: Ah <laughs> Tom, And because an because that was us. That was us getting the adventurers there. It had nothing to do with the fact that Liv worked really, really hard for weeks and weeks and months before that. That <laughs> was all <laughs> us. <laughs> Hopefully Liv's not listening in right now. <laughs> oh she'll be listening. Hi Liv. Ah, oh, it was so obvious. So yeah,
3: they had what, six hundred and twenty runners and out of that four hundred and seventy nine were Parkrun Adventurers. That was seventy-seven percent, which is huge.
1: Adventurers love wine,
0: <laughs> and that did show in the the massive drop off from week one to week two. Yeah, for Sierra a too. So. Yep,
3: that's right. But yeah, fortunately, that <laughs> fortunately you we weren't too far off because Kedron was number three. Um, so they had seventy-three percent parkrun adventurers. Maryland's Peninsula was number two.
1: Maryland's Peninsula. Well, that's in WA, so that's. Even though that was a sneaky little, they didn't tell anyone they were launching officially. It wasn't in the newsletter and it wasn't on the podcast. But um, I think they're on to it in WA anyway.
3: It's kind of hard to hide these things. Everyone knows what's going on in Parkrun land, don't they?
0: How we go at Studley? Have we got, did we make the list there?
3: Uh, Studley uh, came in at number six. Okay. Yeah. Which was uh, 66%, so still very high up there. So also did it by uh, total numbers, so percentage.
1: Wait a minute, wait a minute. Studley was Studley was sixth with sixty six percent. I'm I'm hearing six six six. (laughs) I think the devil's in your stats this week, Ian.
0: Messing with me again. Don't don't relate the devil and Studley.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing it. The numbers don't lie, Scotty. Okay.
3: Well let's move on. (laughs) what's the next one (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i also did it by i like to do it by number of runners because sometimes the big events really struggle with uh percentage it really it um, brings out the smaller number ones um but even by numbers zero was still right at the top of the list so um that was huge um the terrace came in at number two with numbers so 443 tourists with a launch of 693 which is massive um and kedron was still number three even with numbers so but um, Stanley did move up to number five, so they moved up a, a ranking. So, 154 tourists. So, yeah. We need to
1: we need to get numbers on how many tourists, well, no, adventurers, I should say, have been out there just this year. You know, at all the events altogether.
3: That's a good idea. I'll make a note of that for next time. Please do. Hmm. So, the next bit that I moved on to was. Um, to look at the adventurers um, outside of a launch, so basically just week to week running of events and how many people, which people, which events most people go to for um, outside of their home event. Now this is another one I'll get you to guess. It's it's probably going to be an obvious one when I highlight it as well, but I can tell you the highest percentage, the top four in the highest percentage of events was from one event. So over weeks and weeks and weeks. The top four was from one event of the highest number of adventurers going to it. Do you want to hazard a guess at that one?
1: I'm guessing that's in Queensland but, again. And we,
0: hang on, I need to get my head around this. So this is <laughs> the event that has the most
3: <laughs> tourists.
0: The
1: most adventurers <laughs> visiting.
3: Yes, yes. Okay. So at, at a partic- on a particular uh, week, week.
0: which got... one
3: has the most amount of tur- most amount of tourists adventurers coming to their uh, park run that week. Okay. So, I'm going
0: I'm I'm, I'm to stick it local. I reckon it's Albert Park.
3: I thought it would be too, actually, but um, th- th- they don't even rank <laughs> on this
0: uh-huh. list. <laughs> How bad am I going this week? <laughs> Sorry? Here's your chance to get one Omni. On
1: All right. I need to clarify that you mean total – the percentage, is it just at that event? So it's got the highest percentage. Oh, see, now first I was going to say South Bank, but I'm going to change my mind and say Noosa.
3: No on all counts. Not doing too well at the guessing this week. And the beaches came out on top. Ah. The beaches.
1: Now, they don't have... In the the region of runners.
3: But we're talking percentage here, so that's where the, the smaller events can really jump out.
1: Yeah, this is true. This is, yeah, that makes sense. Once again, kicking ourselves, you're right.
3: <laughs> yeah, once you know, it's pretty obvious. So the beaches, it's yeah, – who wouldn't want to go there? So it's, it's certainly one to go visit. But, yeah, that was the top four. So basically they've got four weeks this year where they've been the highest. So 73% down to 64% of tourists, of adventurers going along to their events. So, um, Hamilton, Hamilton Island was the next one after that, so they were certainly up there as well. Of course. Yeah, so <laughs> – uh, yeah, so I thought that was quite interesting too.
1: Very interesting.
3: Hmm. So that is our Parkrun Adventurers stats for this month.
1: There's facts in a haystack.
3: Thanks, now, wasn't worth the wait after yeah, all that?
0: <laughs> it was. It took me a while to get my head around it, but I think I'm there now.
3: I'm hoping I haven't confused <laughs> everyone out there.
1: <laughs> Scotty might have to listen to it a couple more times.
3: Yeah.
0: Just to catch up. Okay, Ian, thanks again for another awesome week of facts in the haystack
3: anytime guys been
0: a pleasure we look forward to doing this again next month
1: super glad you decided to print it out this week
3: (laughs) thanks guys
0: It is an exciting time of year for athletes around Australia as the Olympic selection announcements are made. There is a parkrun connection this year with the men's marathon athletes. Scott Westcott, our Parkrun Australia record holder, is now off to Rio and he's joined us on the pod. Welcome,
4: Scott. Good evening, Scott, and good evening, Mel, and, and great to be uh, yeah, having a chat with you guys and uh, all your listeners in uh, the parkrun landscape of Australia.
0: What's more exciting for you, Scott, being the Parkrun Australian record holder, or getting to go to your first Olympics? Be, be it's honest.
4: Very, it's very, very close. But um, look, I've enjoyed being the Parkrun record holder for probably a little longer than what I thought was possible. It's actually been hanging around for almost three years. So, if it if it makes it to Rio, then I reckon that's a good achievement. So, um, but I'm yeah, absolutely. Yeah, honoured to be a part of the Australian Olympic team and, and that has been a goal of mine um, since I was about the age of 16.
1: So you must be a pretty handy runner then.
4: Yeah, I don't mind it. Um, it's actually, yeah, something that uh, struck a chord with me early on um, as, a, as a kid in primary school and then you know, onto adolescence, you know, when the world goes a little bit crazy and you kind of need something to anchor you. And I found that in running. It was both because I was good at running, but also um, because I found it, you know, just a way to escape or just to be on my own, to just reflect and unpack the day's events and and just deal with all the stuff an adolescent has to deal with. I, I just found running did that for me, and it's kind of set up a habit for life.
1: And when you were a teenager, did you ever imagine that you would be going to the Olympics to represent your country?
4: Probably I imagined it more as a teenager than what I have in the last five years, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really thought that was what I was destined to do. Um, I believe, you know, when you're in a small town in country New South Wales and you're pretty good at something, it, you can get a little bit ahead of yourself. But, um, yeah, global athletics and global running is very competitive and so the realities of that meant that um, I was soon, yeah, needed to jump up a level or two and, and I wasn't meeting all the targets as as a young Athlete, um, But I kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away and got pretty close um, in recent Olympics. So 2000, 2004, 2008, I was very close to making a team. Um, But after that, after, you know, not really getting close in 2012, I thought, well, that was it. So I hadn't been thinking about it too much in the last um, four years. But I had just been enjoying my running, going back to the roots of what it was all about. And that was just you know, dealing with with life's pressures and they were different now that I was an adult and had a family, got three kids and, you know, a job and and all that sort of stuff but running was still very important.
1: As an adult with a wife and three kids, how do you even manage to fit time in to run and train for an Olympics?
4: (laughs) Um, I guess because I've done a lot of the bigger sort of taking care of the big adaptations when I was a younger man and I was single. So I've spent, you know, weeks ploughing through 200Ks a week where you've got not much time else but, you know, sleep, eat and run. So I've done that. I don't need to do it again. And I've got all the, I guess, the benefits of that and I've had the injuries (laughs) to to boot. But nowadays, um, being 40, I can't, you know, do the same levels of training. All I need to do is to touch on all those great training benefits that I've got already in my body. And, you know, I can do that with sort of two-thirds or, or three-quarters of the training that I used to do as a young man. So training pretty much is, um, you know, out the front door, close the door and start running. And uh, when I get back inside the front gate, I better stop running because, yeah, I'll have kids all over me or I've got to kick the soccer ball or I've got to hang out the washing or whatever it is I've got to do. So um, it's just pretty time efficient the way that I train these days.
0: You mentioned you've had a few cracks at the Olympics and you also mentioned you're 40 which is not old but not young Are you, do you reckon you're in your peak now? Do you reckon you've hit your peak in your
3: 40s? I think
4: my my physical peak was probably you know a little while ago my, my personal best marathon was 211 um, 36 set 30 in Japan when I was 30 years old and look, that's probably when I was at the peak of my powers in terms of taking on board huge training loads and most of the time absorbing it. But the downside of that was I could easily overdo it and I was susceptible to injury and I had injury after injury. And, you know, overuse injuries like stress fractures take a long time to heal. Um, So now, I, I don't know if smarter is the right word, but certainly more experienced in my headspace is, I think, a lot more developed as an athlete. It would be nice to have my head now back when I had the body of a 30-year-old. It would be a pretty pretty awesome combination, but it's almost like I had to learn those lessons. And, and then your, your body's um, not as it was, but just learning how to, how to use your body more effectively.
0: We're a bit under 100 days out. From Rio? We what, are, yes. What's your training like at the moment?
4: Um, so there's 97 days to go. I know that because I'm doing a bit of a sneaky 100-day blog um, to Rio. Yep, give it a or quick At least plug. that's my... Yeah, so um, 100 Days to Rio blog, available at the Run New South Wales website. And I've been blogging since Friday, which was 100 days to go to the Olympic marathon. And I'm just using that to... I guess, use my training as a bit of a conversation starter and sort of reflect a little bit on why I do the training I do and maybe some of the memories that it conjures up or where I got that particular training session from or, you know, the behaviour that sort of goes around with, with running and the particular running that I do. Um, so that's what the blog's about and I think, you know, it, it's a good time to do it. There might be a handful of readers but it's a good exercise for me.
0: Yep, and you're training at the moment. What sort of workload are you putting in three months um, out?
4: So, yeah, three months out. So I've just kicked over, yeah, 14 weeks to go. And for me, Scott, that was always going to be the, the marathon-specific, you know, work starts now. Um, so I'm looking at around, you know, 140, 150 kilometres a week. I've got a a local physio practice has thrown me some time on the anti-G treadmill, so that's been actually pretty good. Not so much, you know, uh, recovering from injury, but simply just more miles. So I can do, you know, a 10K run on the ultra-G treadmill and it's it's like going for a recovery run, but without the impact. So I'm squeezing in a little bit of extra. So I might actually get up to around 160, 165 kilometers a week just with a couple of runs uh, on that rigid edge treadmill. So it's not going to hurt me, and it's it's better than riding a bike or going for a swim for cross training. So kind of classify that as cross training. And then I do my my bread and butter session, uh, as I would call it, is my long run on a Sunday. And that's typically about two and a half hours. And then I've got three speed workouts through the week as well. So Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday are all sort of varied speed and speed endurance workouts.
1: On your bread and butter run, so you do two and a half hours that's slower than obviously your marathon time during a race but what kind of distance would you clock in that two and a half hours would you actually run a full marathon in that time or is your slow run pace substantially different
4: no um so you're right now i would never get sometimes i might get close but it would usually be about 35 kilometers um in two and a half hours i will do some runs in there that are uh, more intense or will contain a section of the run at marathon tempo. And I'll probably do between now and Rio, I'd say I'll, I'll do maybe four. So one every three weeks, we'll have a, a surge component in the long run. So that might drive the long run up to, to maybe 38K. But yeah, wouldn't that would be the extreme. I wouldn't go any further than that.
1: Okay. And so your blog... It's called 100 Days to Rio, but obviously your journey to get to Rio started a lot longer ago than this. And the selection was only announced last week, but it was actually announced after a bit of a delay because there was an appeal put in. So you ran your Rio qualifying marathon last year in a time of two hours, 15 and 30. And Jeff Hunt, who is the person who appealed, ran his fastest at 2.16.09 which is what 39 seconds slower than you that would have freaked me out how do you how do you cope with waiting an extra two weeks after you've waited so long Um,
4: I guess not thinking it was going to be two and a half weeks and then just life is just busy anyway Mel so it was it was okay and trying not to think about it was probably the best strategy um, but it was nerve wracking. Yeah, don't get me wrong; it was. I would have rather had heard, you know, the decision when they announced the girls' team, and you know, it was all cut and dry. But look, the appeals uh, process is something that you know athletics affords its athletes, and a lot of Olympic sports do the same. So, as um, inconvenient and as you know anxiety provoking as it was it was just part of the process so um, I'm glad we're on the other side of it now and I can just think about um, preparing for Rio.
0: It's going to be exciting. Let's bring it back to your parkrun experience. Your home is at Newey where you've set the record is that correct?
4: Correct yeah so I was there for parkrun number one in Newey had 79 participants and I think pretty sure it was the 9th of June 2012.
0: And you set the record in 2003, interestingly enough, on International Park Run Day.
4: Have you had another crack at that record since then? Um, Well, yes and no. I've tried to go fast, but, look, everything just clicked on that day. And that was a week before Melbourne Marathon, and I ran 2.14.23 for Melbourne Marathon. So it was a bit of a form guide. Um, So, of course... Um, almost two years later I went out and had another crack um, a week before Berlin last year and I ran, I think I ran uh, 14, uh, 46 or 47, something like that. So I was a good 20, 20 plus seconds outside my parkrun record. So, But what it actually did was it, it gave me an indication of what fitness level I was for the marathon um, and I knew, well, I'm not as fit as what I was before Melbourne two years ago so I better not try and run the same pace so it was actually really helpful and I'll be uh, fully yeah getting my hands dirty and running a, a e Park run two weeks before the Olympic marathon um, as my final hit out and uh, hopefully you know pretty good form guide great I'm sure they'll give you a big send off too yes yeah plenty of high fives if I yeah <laughs> my hand will be red raw by the end of it
0: probably yeah. do you Nervously or anxiously look at the fastest times from week to week and see if anyone's getting close to your record?
4: Uh, No, I welcome it. I think, um, yeah, there was a little bit um, of that early on, I think, uh, when Parkrun was just getting established in in 2012, 2013, and you had guys like Marty Dent come out and have a few cracks and then uh, Brett Robertson, who's um, one of our uh, best bike and 10k runners in Australia um, he went and had a crack as well I think he had it for a little while um, and I think you know just yeah when everything all came together I I think I took the record off Marty or Brett and, and you know just put it down in the 1420s so any of those guys could actually do it but it's they have to be pretty deliberate they can't just sort of rock up and um, you know go for a Saturday morning run and, and get the record they're going to have to yeah, sort of knuckle down and um, approach it with some gusto, I think.
1: So you've got four course records, Scott, but you've actually run at five different events. So, what happened with Fingal Bay?
4: <laughs> I I had the record for a little while, didn't I? And you gotta you gotta like you gotta give it to another Olympian, surely. So I, I believe it was Aaron Royal who came up. Well, I don't know how long after I set a record there and he beat my record by a second, but that's okay because you know, he's a local um, uh now lives in Wollongong, but of course he's uh, an Australian triathlete representative at Rio. So um, by all means, I can, I can share the love around the area.
1: And every second counts.
4: It does, it does, yeah. So it could have been the sticky fingers on the stopwatch the day I ran perhaps.
1: You didn't pay the timekeeper enough.
4: That's right. (laughs) And and to be honest, I think it's all very friendly rivalry. And and I know there's a lot of guys who go out there looking to win every uh, one one of the guys who's in our training group. He he goes looking to win every park run uh, in the district um, at some point or other. I think he's got a, you know, he's won all 13 park runs in the Lower Hunter. Um, So, yeah, there is some bragging rights. But isn't it, it's, it's park run, not park race?
1: This is absolutely true. And speaking of which, you're talking about bragging rights. What is your slowest ever park run?
4: Um, well, I haven't run a park run with a pram or with any of my children yet. Um, so I feel like it's a rhetorical question now.
1: Okay, so I, when are you going yeah, so to get the kids out there? When are you going to
4: get the kids out there? Yeah. Well, my eldest is eight years old this year, and
1: um, that's twice the age you have to be to start.
4: Yeah, yeah. Now he's running quite well over two k, and um, I'm, I'm very strategic about when he can start doing parkrun. But um, yeah, we'll have a look at the records. And um, no, but seriously, I just would like him to be a couple of years older, maybe ten, and then we'll take him out and do a do a full five k. I'm sure he could do it now, but. Um, yeah, I want to see him yeah, take on running as something which he enjoys for life. And yeah, certainly don't want to scare him off too early because it's a long way. 5K is, is a long way for a young person.
1: They don't have to run the whole way.
4: No, that's true. And Nui is actually pretty convenient. You could actually run half of it and then just sort of loop back to the start over the, what we call the pretty bridge and not run all the way back.
1: I mean, he could walk the balance of the distance. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah, he could. He could. I, I probably need to retire for the third time, Mel. So I would wouldn't have itchy feet though. So what would I be doing? Because it's oh. a Sunday morning. I have got to run hard on a Sunday morning. So so, so
1: it's all about you then, Scott. <laughs> really?
4: No, it's not supposed to be. But um, at least for the next three and a half months, it is. And then maybe I'll have a go at retiring again and hit park run with the yeah with the kids. It's a good challenge though, Mel.
1: It is. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Scott. We will be watching and uh, keeping track of you on your blog, 100 Days to Rio, and cannot wait until the 21st of August where we can all tune in to watch you in the men's marathon at Rio.
4: No, thank you, Mel. And and I do love uh, just the parkrun community um, and everything that it stands for and just getting people you know, off the couch and out there moving in such a non-threatening way. You guys do a wonderful job um, and I'll certainly be a big fan and, and, um, yeah, hopefully come and run a lot more, you know, park runs with my family in the years and months ahead.
1: Hopefully you can try some Victorian and Queensland courses.
4: Yes, definitely. What's your recommendation? Albert Park and... um,
1: Everybody goes to Albert Park who does Victoria. Don't get Scotty started on <laughs> Albert Park.
4: <laughs> it
1: is a beautiful course, I understand.
4: Bendigo, Go. Yeah, Bendy Go. Um, it's a tough little one, I've heard. I've heard. Yeah, we've got
0: some tough and we've got some flat courses, depending what you like down here.
4: I'd
1: like to see you have a go at the beaches on a sandy day.
4: No, yeah, it's ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's probably my average way out. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, good luck in Rio. I, I look forward to shouting, go, Scott, during the marathon, because great name, Scott. Thanks for joining yeah. us on the pod.
4: <laughs> no, no worries. And uh, thanks, Mel. And we'll see you in Queensland uh, for the Gold Coast, a little bit little bit down the road from you in um, uh, on July 3.
0: It's been a busy podcast this week, but we couldn't let another week go by without catching up with another ED. And this week we're catching up with an ED from... I'd say an event that's in my top five, maybe even higher. Welcome to the Parkrun Adventurers, Pete Johns from Coburg.
5: Hello, top five.
0: Oh yeah, I bloody love Coburg.
5: Wow, praise indeed.
0: I love the course, I love the people, and I and I love the event team which you're part of.
5: That's very kind. Do you love the bridges?
0: <laughs> but you know the answer to that. I'll I'll start off this interview by telling you a bit of a history. When we we were putting the course together, we had two options, didn't we, Pete? We could have either gone north or we could have gone south.
5: And it's gone south ever since.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. But the course has gone south ever since because the the south course has three bridges.
5: Three bridges. Yeah. Three bridges on the way out. Three bridges on the way back because it's an out
0: and back course. Not only three bridges that we go over, we go under two as well.
5: This is absolutely true. We're going to two roads.
1: The full roller coaster of bridges, by the sounds of it.
5: Roller coaster. Interesting you should say that because we do have a bit of an up and a bit of a down. It's quite quite an undulating course.
1: Okay, so give us a bit of a better explanation of your whole course there, Pete, because obviously I've never been there. A lot of our adventurers listening right now won't have been there. So tell us about it.
5: Um, well, like Scott says, it's... Um, An out-and-back course, Um, it's around a lake and along a creek, which is deceptive if you've never been uh, along Merry Creek, because you might expect it to be flat following the water, but like I say, it's got some undulations. Um, So yeah, it feels a bit like a roller coaster, and it's good fun, like a roller coaster.
0: We start on an uphill at Coburg, which is a challenge, but there's a nice little downhill finish, which I really enjoy too. But you've got to be careful that you don't keep running because if you do, you could end up in the lake.
5: The finish line is right by the lake,
0: and and the path leads right into the lake. <laughs> it's going to happen one day, I reckon.
5: Yeah, some people like to think of it as the transition area uh, before the swim leg of the uh, the parkrun triathlon.
1: Traditional triathlons they start in the water.
5: This isn't a traditional triathlon. <laughs>
0: So you're celebrating a year this Saturday, and we're going to celebrate with a C theme?
5: C for Coburg is the theme, yes.
0: Have you picked out your costume, your outfit for this Saturday?
5: I have. I still have to do some shopping for it, though.
1: Can you give us any hints?
5: It begins with a C, <laughs> and it has something to do with running. Mm. And you'll have to follow on the Coburg Facebook page to find out.
0: Well, mine begins with C, too. I hope we're not going to clash. <laughs>
1: Okay I'm trying to think You could be a couch
5: Oh that's a good idea I should have thought of that
1: A little bit Not great for wind resistance So you might not be a PB runner If you go dressed as a couch
5: That's okay I'm run directing So I don't have to worry about running
1: Could be awkward to drive there also Unless you live really close And you can just walk across the road
5: uh, one of the advantages of setting up your own parkrun is that you get to choose where it goes. And um, yeah, I live just by the turnaround point, so, so that's kind of handy.
0: And so how have you enjoyed the past year, Pete?
5: It's been great fun. Um, met lots of wonderful people. Uh, we've got a great event team here at Coburg, and um, yeah, it's been really enjoyable watching lots of people people who I've got to know over the, over the time, just getting better and better and getting PBs. Um, yeah, very exciting.
1: Are you a bit of an adventurer yourself, Pete? Uh,
5: yeah, I think I've done something like 10 different courses.
1: Well, that qualifies, definitely. Yeah. Do you have a top three? And you can't you can't include Coburg; it's against the rules.
5: I'm not allowed to include Coburg. Um, well, I've still done more runs at Westerfolds than I have anywhere else, so that would probably be my number one. Um, it's also where I started. Um, oh, uh, Hobart! That's a beautiful uh, out-and-back course around a lake. Um, no bridges, but very hilly so i enjoyed that and probably my most recent adventure was up at dubbo and their course is very similar to coburg's very very similar it's as if we copied them um, and uh, yeah absolutely loved running up at dubbo
0: and how did you get involved you said that you've done more runs at westerfolds that's how we met how did you get involved in parkrun
5: i was a fairly new runner um About two years ago, I'd done the couch to 5K, so the couch uh, costume would really suit me. After I'd completed the couch to 5K, I kind of stopped, and it was almost as if I'd done running, and I realised that I hadn't laced up my my running shoes for a while, so um, I'd heard a lot of my friends in the UK talk about parkrun, so I looked up where my nearest parkrun was, and there was this place called Westerfolds Park, which I'd never heard of, despite only living 14k away, something like that, and uh, went along to my first park run. felt really nervous. Um, I, was a, I was concerned that I was going to hold everyone up, but met a very encouraging bunch of people, uh, was cheered over the line at the end, couldn't help but go back the following
1: week. And the rest,
5: as they say, is history.
1: So you met Scotty at Westerfolds. I would like to know what your first impressions were of him. Oh, putting you a bit on the spot. Yeah,
5: quite on the spot there. Um, Well, like everyone at Westford, he was just a, you know, really friendly, encouraging person. He was one of these people who comes up and, you know, gets to know you uh, by name.
1: This is not the answer I was looking for at all.
5: No? (laughs) I'm sorry, sorry I have no dirt for you.
1: Damn it! I'll get some. It's been too long since I had some, but I'll get some more. Yeah. Um, I don't
0: know what she's up to. <laughs> do you remember the day we talked about starting up Coburg and if you wanted to be the guy who was going to do it?
5: I do indeed, yes. Um, yeah, I was really quite nervous about taking it on, much like I was nervous about going to my first park run. But yeah, it's turned out to be one of the best things I've done.
0: So no regrets.
5: Absolutely none.
0: Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> because my recollection is that I knew we were going to start I we were going to start a new park run and I wanted it to be up in Coburg and I knew Pete was from that area. And so when I announced it one week at Westerfolds, I think I was looking directly at you. <laughs>
5: <laughs> when you when I, you said that you were going to get John to set one up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that was just my ruse, because I knew he would be no good at it. But <laughs> I was looking directly at Pete and said, if anybody wants to come and speak to me about starting up a um, park run in the Coburg area, come and have a chat to me. And uh, luckily he did. And uh, you gave me a a six-month promise or a guarantee that you would stick around, and uh, we've doubled that. So I'm absolutely thrilled that we've got to 12 months. You're not going to leave us now, are you?
5: I have no plans. No, it's it's been great fun.
1: I can't move past costumes very easily, so <laughs> my, my brain is just ticking over, trying to – I need more than a C. I need, I need a bit more of a clue than that.
2: Oh,
5: um, I can't think of a clue without giving it away. That's the thing.
0: <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see who's, what we're going to rock up with because the other thing about Coburg is it's situated right next to the prison, uh, the old Pentred prison. So I reckon we're going to see some cops, convicts, criminals.
5: It would be a shame not to mark Coburg's penitentiary uh, history. That's not where my plans are going, but I'm imagining that there will be lots of uh,
1: convicts and cops. Well, I can't wait to see the photos. I think it's going to look amazing. And I love trying to decipher, you know, when people think of something that begins with a letter and they get dressed up as it and it looks like something else but it's like okay how is that the letter and then they tell you and then it's obvious when they've told you (laughs) but all you can think about is you look like a fairy how is a fairy starting with p and then they tell you oh it's a pixie it's like oh okay (laughs) it's those obvious connections that you don't make and I'm assuming there's going to be a big cake
5: there will be a cake, yes. Uh, one of our regular runners uh, has very kindly offered to make us a cake. Yeah, I think that's going to be great. We've had a, a nice idea for a cake. I imagine there won't be any left.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for coming on the podcast this week, Pete. I will see you on Saturday.
5: Pleasure, Scott. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Are you going to come down, Bill?
1: Not this weekend. We're, we're doing a bit of a big deal thing up here on the Sunshine Coast this weekend. But I hope to get down to you sometime in 2017.
0: You must. And I, and I do mean it. I actually think Coburg is, you know, I said top five. It's probably higher than that because the course is pretty. And the photos coming out of Coburg are all, always awesome. I want more adventurers coming who come to Melbourne because Coburg is actually not that far from the city, is it, Pete?
5: No, it's um, about 10 K north of the city, uh, really easy to get to on public transport. We've got trams and trains that come very close to the course.
0: Yeah. But it's a hidden gem, and I want to see more adventurers.
5: E- e- even the locals, when they when they come down to uh, the course, say, oh, I didn't realise this was here. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful part of the northern suburbs.
0: Okay, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we caught up with Tom Williams in the UK and he gave us an update on the Little Stoke situation. A few weeks has passed, so we thought it was time to get an update. Welcome back to the podcast, Tom. Thanks, Scott. What's happening with Little Stoke?
6: Well, um, not a huge amount right now. I think it it probably will. Well, certainly not publicly. I think it it probably will fairly soon. So uh, I think where we were last time was that um, we were questioning, we were just challenging the robustness of their decision to, to impose a charge on the part Run team. So uh, I think, you know, when there are questions around when um, you're operating on public land, you're non-revenue generating and you're not being provided with a dedicated service or facility, um, there's some, we have some questions around that as to whether or not really you can um, impose a charge. Or a council can impose a charge. Different, of course, if it's private land. Different if you're being provided with an exclusive uh, venue or facility or service, like a booking service. Different if you're revenue generating. And I don't want to sound like, you know, we're just saying, well, we're different to everybody else. But I think it's a legitimate argument. And philosophically, we feel that if local people want to, to get together in their local community and put on a free event for local people and for people to come in of course and that that group of local people are going to not generate any income in any way as a result of doing that then we we kind of feel there's a there's a rights issue there and that you should be able to do that What you know if not what else are are parks for so we, we have until the 28th of may so the council imposed a deadline of the 28th of may by which time we would need to have agreed to pay a fee otherwise they would remove permission um so we've challenged their the robustness of their decision to do that they've not yet responded to our challenge and the clock ticks and we get closer and closer to the 28th of may and i think you probably know everything i know now
0: <laughs> okay that, that's interesting i would have thought that with all the publicity that it got and a bit of pressure on the local council that um we might have been further along than we what we are
6: yeah, I'm. I'm really quite surprised as well. We, you know, we've learnt a huge amount on this journey, and it is really unprecedented in 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 the nature of the way things have have kind of progressed. And I think we you know we have a, a learned an awful lot. And one of the things we've really learned is the power, certainly in the UK, of um, the democratic process. And and when. People are empowered, so the council are the kind of the, the lowest level of government, as far as I can see it. But when they're empowered to make a democratic decision, then, despite there being clear and public disagreement from almost the highest levels of of, of government, so we've not had the prime minister come out against against it, but we've had cabinet ministers come out against the decision and trying to overturn it, and we've had, you know, pretty strong lobbying from a, from a number of extremely high-powered individuals. Um, at the same time, it, it, whether or not they can or not, and I'm not entirely sure of that, it just seems that um, there is a respect, and rightly so in many ways, there is a respect for the democratic process and this council have been put in to make a decision that we don't agree with, but they've been put in to make a decision about a local part-run event and they've made that decision. Um, uh, we're not questioning the the way they made the decision, we're just questioning actually um, their right to make that decision in this individual case. And, and you know, there's another question, isn't there? You know, you've, essentially we lost the vote six for the council, at uh, the parish council meeting, uh, you know, how many weeks ago it was. Can six people really, um, is it right that six people can come together and say you 5,000 people, which is how many registered park runners there are at Little Stoke Park Run, you remember, this isn't a new event. It's not a small event. They've been going for for over three years, and and they've got five thousand registered runners and three hundred runners a week. Can six people really come together and say you five thousand people can't do what you want to do for free? Yeah, that, that that seems bizarre to me. A little bit unjust, you might say. Yeah, <laughs> certainly a little bit unjust. I think that's fair enough. Okay, great. Thanks for the update.
0: So the. Stay tuned, is um, so we're gonna ca- maybe catch up with you within a few more weeks, and hopefully we'll have a resolution.
6: Yes, well, the twenty eighth Scott, is the deadline, so yeah, we can we can speak on the twenty ninth if you like, and we'll see what's happened.
0: And <laughs> um, Parkrun passed another massive milestone last week.
6: Yes, it did. Yes, it did. So Parkrun uh, UK reached its one millionth different runner. Um, that's a unique individual. So it's had about ten million runs, and so that, but one million different people. Which was which is a wonderful achievement, I think, and and you know credit to everybody. And a lot of you know, would there have been Aussies or not? I can't remember whether that was it, different people who were also registered in the UK or not. I think it worked either way. I think it worked if we included Aussies and South Africans coming over and also uh, UK registered runners. And the UK passed 100,000 runners on a single weekend, and they probably did it this week as well. Because I think looking at the stats, we had a record attendance in the UK. It's interesting. So. The global attendance used to be so much so influenced by the UK that we'd always set a global attendance record every time the UK set a record. And now that you guys and South Africa are so significant in terms of numbers, you know, on a good week, you guys will make up, I think, 55,000 runners. Um, actually, as we're going into the Australian winter and the South African winter, particularly the South Africans seem a little bit soft, I'm afraid. <laughs> Their attendance is really going down as it's getting colder. But... Um, yeah we're seeing so we're seeing big records in the UK as we move into summer and this once actually June July isn't typically so busy for for the UK but May is we're seeing those records but as Australia and particularly South Africa get quieter we're actually not setting global records which is for stats lovers like me that have followed parkrun stats for for 8 years that's uh, that's an interesting thing as the rest of the world becomes more and more influential exciting times parkrun's going to grow yeah. no matter what absolutely absolutely great Thanks for your time again, Tom. Thanks, Scott. Cheers, mate.
1: It sounds like we'll be hearing from Tom again in a few weeks' time. Fingers crossed for Little Stoke.
0: Indeed. We're launching Portland in Victoria this week in the western part of the state. Should be a good launch. Met the ED a couple of weeks ago. Very enthusiastic. So good luck with your launch in Portland. What about the cake this week? We just heard from Pete. So we know there's cake going to be cake at Coburg for their first anniversary. Who else shares a birthday with Coburg?
1: Well, Coburg also shares their twin with the first anniversary of Tari in New South Wales. They're having a blue theme this week.
0: Oh, they work in blue.
1: They work in blue. I haven't seen any blue ones. wonder how many Smurfs are going to show up.
0: What else would you go? You're, you're the expert on costumes. Where else would you go with blue?
1: You could come as one of those things from that movie that time. You know, Avatar. You could come as an Avatar. I reckon there'd be some people out there willing to wear blue morph suits and braid their hair. We're
0: going to do the follow-up to um, best movies of all time. We've got to do worst movies of all time soon.
1: Whatever made you think of that? Avatar. No. <laughs> you can't You can't count that amongst your worst, surely. One of. Oh, I'm looking forward to that episode. To be continued.
2: <sighs>
1: okay, second anniversaries this week. We've got Roma in Queensland. That Don't forget, you know, if you head out there, that is the bonus pointer star of the Stargazer Circuit. So happy birthday, Roma Park Run. I was there last year and it was a great, great event. So well worth the trip. Head out. Varsity Lakes in Queensland are also celebrating their anniversary. It's going to be their third this week, so happy anniversary to Varsity Lakes. Lots of cake. Cake all over the place.
0: That's it for Episode 20 of the Parkrun Adventurers. Hope you enjoyed a little bit of a different musical twist to this episode. Sometimes life is too short, so you might as well enjoy what you've got right now. We're going to leave you with a full song. The name of the band is Big Smoke and have good adventures this week.
2: i lit out under rain and cloud in a town where all the streets slope south where the traffic float and stop to rest to the rhythm in my old chest. If the distant constellation reading thoughts from in my mind it'd all be useless information just coming down that line cause I have no revelation just a feeling I can't describe I need to speak with you tonight oh honey I